Good morning. Magandang umaga po, kapatiran kay Kristo. That is Filipino for good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Philippines is a country in East Asia. <laughs> Our scripture reading for this morning is in John chapter 20 from verse 19 to 23. And if you'd like to use the Pew Bible with you, that is in page 906. <clears throat> Jesus appears to the disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. I'm wearing... This shirt from Ghana, given by one of our sisters here, Sister Pearl. We are glad to be able to, to have this missions conference. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, we've had missionaries in most of this week uh, in different ministries, students, children, Bible studies. Uh, I hope you've been encouraged by the time this last weekend, Friday night, it's yesterday's international dinner. I hope they, I hope missionaries, I hope you've been encouraged by our uh, time with you as well. There was this moment yesterday where we were at the international dinner at Jire Place and we were, um, we were reading John 3, 16 and 17 and about a dozen people read them in different languages and one by one they were reading God's word in people's native tongue. It was so beautiful. And actually what got me, and then Garrett mentioned that that, that kind of got him. And then uh, afterwards, um, Brother Golden and Pastor Andrew were singing a song uh, in a language used in Nigeria. And I looked over and I saw a table of a Nigerian family. And as they were singing in Nigerian, they, I looked over and they were worshiping in their own language, eyes closed. And that's what got me. Here we are, able to sing praises in another language, and this family knows it. They know the song. They're able to worship the living God. That's, that's the goal here. There is an end game, right? This missions conference is meant to challenge us not only to see our missionaries as sent ones, but to see ourselves as sent ones. That's the theme of this series that we've been Going through the last three weeks, sent. Two weeks ago, our missionary, Harry Gebert, challenged us with this question, where is your spot? 
What role does God specifically have for you in his mission to reach the entire world, every tribe, tongue, and nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Last week, Pastor Atkins showed us from 1 John 4 that we are sent out by love, God's love, and that when we really understand how abundantly and sacrificially God has poured out his love upon us, we will be compelled to go out and love others in the same way. And today, we pick up right where Pastor Atkin left off. One of the last things Atkin said was, Jesus' mission in the world is now our mission. Do you believe that? In other words, for today, the message is, you are sent. As many of you know, my family had the privilege back in June to, pra- to, to visit, to travel and visit my, fa- my extended family in Egypt. I was asked to participate in my cousin's wedding, a Christian wedding, and I was thrilled for uh, my wife and our children all together to be able to see my country of origin and to see the, where their grandparents immigrated from and met lots of cousins, lots of aunts and uncles, got to see the sites, the pyramids and the sphinx and riding on camels in the desert. Uh, they do have cars, by the way, lots of cars, um, but there are camels in the desert if you'd like to ride those. And we swam in the Red Sea and we got to take a boat ride on the Nile River. It was a wonderful time. Uh, my family in Egypt is, are all Christians, praise God, and so it was sweet to fellowship with uh, fellow believers. But it was, it was sobering to be in a country that is over 90% Muslim, and believe me, that was an unmistakable reality for us to witness. Five, days, five times a day, no matter where you are in Egypt, you hear a loudspeaker from a mosque chanting the Muslim call to prayer. We would be on our balcony of my aunt's house in the morning, and it would blare. Midday, and it would blare. In the evening, it would blare. And it was surreal to listen to because every time we heard it, we were struck that the vast majority of the people around us do not know Christ, one, and likely have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One day we were traveling across the city to, to go to one of the museums, and we were driving through a very old part of Cairo, very run down. And then we started passing what we could tell were tombs everywhere. And the tour guide with us informed us that we were passing through what is called the City of the Dead. Miles and miles of tombs. It is one of the largest, if not the largest, cemetery in the world. Nearly half a million people live among the tombs, caretakers of the tombs. It is really a city. Later, my wife shared with me that passing through the city of the dead made her feel incredibly heartbroken because she knew that millions of people were buried there who never had a chance to hear the gospel and died without the hope of the gospel. Why do I share that? Because Danny Beth and I have had to wrestle many times with our role in the kingdom of God and the global advance of the gospel. 
When Gary, Harry Gebert gets up and says, where is your spot? It's a good question, and it's a question for every single one of us to wrestle with and to answer because the needs in our world are immense, and the stakes couldn't be higher. And yet, God's plan A to reach the world with the gospel is through ordinary people like us. And there is no plan B. It really is incredible. Maybe you're thinking, this is, that's so overwhelming. Or maybe you're thinking, that task is for the missionaries out there, but not for me. Well, the message this morning is to convince you that we are all sent ones. Jesus wants to show us what is the message that we have as sent ones, what is our mission as sent ones, and, and what's going to empower this mission. Let's look at that from John chapter 20. Verses 19 to 23, lesson number one, our resurrected king gives us peace with God. There are, did you know there are five great commission passages in the New Testament? Most people think there's one great commission, Matthew 28, that is a great commission passage, but there are four in the Gospels. Every Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a great commission, commission passage. And in the book of Acts, Jesus gives a great commission there as well. His final instructions for all Christians. The one, the one we're looking at today is John 20. It is the first commission spoken to the disciples after He is resurrected from the dead. Notice it says it's on the evening of that day, verse 19. That day being that resurrection day, that Sunday, that Easter, Easter day. John 20, in the beginning, Mary and a few disciples went to the tomb and they discovered the tomb is empty. The body of Jesus is no longer there. And then Jesus appears to Mary and reveals himself to her and says, Go and tell all the other disciples that I am not dead, I have risen. And Jesus go, uh, Mary goes and tells them, and, but they're all confused. It doesn't make sense. It's incredible news that Jesus is the resurrected king, that he is the deity he said he was, that he, he could seek and forgive sins. Everything you promise is now true. And it is on this evening with the disciples having still no idea what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, or even if it's true, and it says in verse 19, they're huddled up on the evening of that first day of the week. The doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The disciples are hiding because of fear. Why fear? Because the Jewish leaders had just executed their leader in a sham legal process. If they could do that to Jesus, the one who performed miracles, the one who they believed was the Son of God, how much easier would it be to take out his followers if they wanted to? They were justified in their fear. Their lives were at risk. And it is into this fear that Jesus comes. And he stood among them, it says. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, this is a standard greeting in the Middle East, in, in Hebrew, and it has carried over into Arabic. It is still said today in the Middle East, Salam Aleikum, peace be with you. But there's a deeper meaning here. 
And we know that because he says it again in verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Jesus isn't just offering this customary greeting. He is summarizing in a profound way, in a profoundly personal way, the essence of his life and his mission. Peace. Shalom. Shalom is the foundational gift of salvation the foundational gift of the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus promised his disciples in the upper room right before he was arrested multiple times. I've come to give you peace. I'm going to bring you peace. And now he has delivered on this promise. Look, the declaration of the shalom on Easter Sunday coupled with it is finished from the cross shows that the mission of Jesus is now complete. Jesus came to earth to bring reconciliation between God and people, between God and every single human. That's why it says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came to earth and this is why Jesus died. Jesus is not just a wise teacher on par with Gandhi or Buddha. He's not a prophet as other religions believe him to be like Muhammad. No, Jesus claimed to be the incarnate, coming from heaven down to earth, incarnate son of God. He claimed to be God in the flesh. And he came to deal with the world's rejection of God. You see, the history of humanity, starting from Adam and Eve, is that every person, every people group has turned from God and tried to do life apart from Him, and that's called sin. We, every single one of us, has this thing in us. Some, it's this drive, this, 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 this like angst. We want to shed the authority of our Creator, and we want to be the captain of our own destiny. Well, just look around the world. How's that working out for us? Have we solved the world's problems with better education, better economic opportunity, better medicine? Now, praise God for all of those things. But it doesn't seem to work at the heart of humanity's problem. Don't you see? Jesus didn't just come to show us how to live a life of love and sacrifice. He came to earth because we have rejected and sinned against our Creator, and our sin is a declaration of war against God. We are in enmity against God. We are at war with God. And Jesus didn't say, and God didn't go, okay, I'll just crush you with a word, which he could have. No, he says, I'm going to send the prophets. I'm going to establish Israel. I'm going to do all these things. And, and we reject, we reject, we reject. And God says, I'm going to send my son to represent me in this world to show you, to make the bridge back to myself, to declare I can make peace with you because Jesus never sinned. He qualified to stand in our place to take the punishment for our sin. That's why he had to die on the cross. Jesus died to bear the consequences of our sin, which is death. And the death of Jesus upholds the justice of God because God is just, he must punish evil and sin, but the death of Jesus also upholds the love of God because Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and me. 
He took what we deserved, and in his death, he brings shalom. He brings reconciliation. He brings peace between God and humanity. He brokered peace with his death. Jesus died bearing all of our guilt and all of our shame so that now, as he says here about what his disciples are going to proclaim, now we can have forgiveness of sin. We can stand before God and he can declare in his courtroom, not guilty. Well, but I am guilty. But Jesus took that guilty sentence and there's no double jeopardy. You can't be tried twice. Jesus was already tried and condemned. Therefore, God looks at our record and says, paid in full, you get to go free. That's what Jesus brokered for us. That's what Jesus secured for us in his life and in his death. And now in his resurrection life, he offers us eternal life. His very own life, which will never die. That's what he's proclaiming to the disciples when he says, peace be with you. No other religious leader claims this. No other religious leader comes close to saying, I have risen from the dead and I can make sure you live forever. Do you have this peace? Do you know this Jesus as your Savior? The only way to experience this peace is to receive Jesus, his forgiveness, his life as a gift by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. It's yours if you'll receive it. It's right here before you. It's a gift. You can receive it or you can reject it. And Jesus says, to those who receive it, he tells his disciples, verse 23, you can proclaim that as forgiveness of sin upon them. And if they reject it, you can say, there is no forgiveness of sins apart from Christ. Christian, do you know that through faith in Jesus, right now you have peace with God? That he is not mad at you. He's not annoyed every time you mess up. You are his beloved son and daughter and he delights in you. Some of you can't get that through because of a, a bad parent experience or a teacher or, or an abuse situation. You can't believe that he loves you because he loves you. But the resurrection of Jesus guarantees, proves he loves you because he loves you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what he has done to make you his own. This peace is foundational to our mission. Why are we talking about this so much? Because this inner peace we have, this, this um, objective peace we have with God, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, this gives our hearts assurance and confidence that we can be sent out as witnesses in a world that is hostile to the message. In other words, we need this assurance from Jesus, that we're good, so you can go out in my name. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to go, oh, I'm, I'm a screw-up. No, well, I know you're a screw-up. You were a screw-up before I came. You're a screw-up afterwards. Okay, let's just lay it all out here. Peter later is going to go fishing, and Jesus is going to have to grab and go, why are you fishing, man? Didn't I tell you I'm sending you to do what I did? Let me ask you, what, what are some fears hindering you from being sent out? The disciples were hiding because of fear. What room are you trying to lock yourself in to prevent yourself from being sent? Is it comfort? 
or convenience or safety. Those are some fears that, that people here in America have. I can't go to that country. I can't go across the street to my neighbor. I can't leave my job. I can't. Are you so afraid of being uncomfortable that you'll refuse for Jesus to send you? Are you so afraid of your kids' safety that you're unwilling for you to consider or let them consider global missions? Christian, we have to remember the worst thing that could happen to you has already happened to you. You have been crucified with Christ. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. It's done. It, and the best is yet to come. Nothing can separate you from his love. There is freedom in this. What I know is that the more we understand and experience the peace that God has provided for us in Jesus, then the more confidence we will have to be sent ones. Whether it's being sent across the street to our neighbors, across the hall at work, across the state, or across the world. Point number two. Our resurrected king doesn't just give us peace with God. Our resurrected king sends us out on mission. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The word sent or sending there is the Latin word missio. It means mission. Jesus is saying, I am a missionary. And now all of you are missionaries. Do you see that? As the Father has missio sent me, I am missio you. Sending you. Your life should be shaped by this idea of sentness. As Jesus was sent by the Father, so you are being sent by Jesus. As Jesus' life was lived on mission, so your life should be lived on mission. Do you see the as and so? As so. In the same way as what Jesus is saying. What was Jesus' mission? To be God's ambassador, proclaiming that through him there's forgiveness of sin. So then what is our mission? To be God's ambassador, proclaiming that through Jesus there's forgiveness of sin. That's verse 23, he says that. Jesus isn't saying we do the forgiving there in verse 23. He's simply saying we get to proclaim that forgiveness is possible through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What is our mission? Jesus outlines it more fully in, in Matthew's Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. Do you believe today that you are sent out by Jesus to do this? You're going to say, well, I'm an engineer. I'm a painter. I'm a, an accountant. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a this, I'm a that. You fill in the blank. What are you? I am a fill in the blank, okay? Does that exempt you from being a sent one? I mean, you got it. You, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a trick question. It's very simple. There are ways to get exempt from jury duty. I know. I've tried it. But there are no ways from being exempt from being a sent one. 
I am this many years old. Sorry, I don't see an age thing, you know. I'm, I'm too young, I'm too old. I don't, I don't see that anywhere either. I know this seems scary, but isn't it also kind of amazing? Your life is so much bigger than just, your mission in life is so much bigger than just accumulating stuff, maybe playing some video games, maybe taking a few trips, building a 401k, living a life of ease in retirement, and then going to the grave. I know that's held out as the dream. Your life mission is to participate in the redeeming work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bring the gospel of peace to the world. One of the things I love about adventure movies is that they, almost all of them start with an ordinary person or a few ordinary individuals, and they're usually living a pretty boring, mundane life. Right? Peter Parker takes pictures. His boss rides him every day. Right? Pick your poison. Pick your hero. They're just ordinary people. Then all of a sudden, they're caught up in this adventure that will test them beyond what they can imagine. And then all of a sudden, it's through this ordinary kind of quirky person that the world can be saved. And we kind of love that, right? We love, we kind of we want to see ourselves in that, whether it, and it's in kids' movies and kids' stories and adult stories, right? Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Disney, take your pick. It resonates within us. We feel like we can relate to those ordinary individuals. And I'm simply saying, don't you see that if you take Jesus' words seriously, that you are part of an epic mission that has cosmic significance? I love, I love you some Spider-Man, but come on, it's just fun. This is real life. I, I do, I've done, I, I was talking to my wife just this past week, another person we know lost a family member, we're grieving again, and I said, how many funerals have I done? I think it's over a hundred funerals now since being a pastor. This is very real to us. You may be tested beyond what you think you can endure, but you will be part of God's extraordinary mission to bring the gospel to those who desperately need it. Your neighbor across the street needs to know that Christ died to reconcile him to God. He doesn't know that this life is not all there is. He doesn't know that he will live forever, whether with God in heaven or apart from God in eternal suffering. And God sent you to live near him and live near her to reflect the love of God to them and to share the good news of Christ with them. But that's not all. There are 3.2 billion people, billion people in the world that are unreached. Harry Gebert mentioned what unreached means. No Christians, no Bible, no church. 42% of the world live in an unreached people group. 7,419 unreached people groups. 7,419 people groups who have no Bible, no Christian, and no church. As the Father has sent Jesus, so he is sending you. Do you see the connection? Do you see what Jesus is saying? I'm not, look, I've, I've had to wrestle this whole week. I don't want, I'm not here to guilt you. I am here to state facts, though. 
A mission researcher, Todd Johnson, states this, quote, an estimated 87% of Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims do not personally know a Christian. 87% don't even know a Christian. And can I flip that around? Because I think this might be more convicting to us. I think the opposite is also true. 87% of Christians do not personally know a Buddhist, Muslim, or Hindu. This must not be so. They're your neighbors. They're my neighbors. Invite them over. Get to know them. Over the centuries, the global church has been, has been committed to obeying the Great Commission, sending out hundreds of thousands of missionaries, investing billions of dollars over the years to spread the gospel, and praise God for all of those who, previous nevely, who have previously never heard, but now believe because of the church's commitment to make disciples of all peoples. We, we have been a part, a front row to that with the, uh, Keith and Angie Copley, right? They were here last year, and, and they shared their story of, of spending 12 years among the Hewa people in Papua New Guinea, helping translate, write the Bible in their language, figuring out what is their language, and helping them write the Bible, and then sharing with them the story of God's redemption, and now a church thriving among the Hewa people. Praise God. And yet... With all of the works being done right now, 3.2 billion are still unreached. Clearly, there's still so much work to be done. I'm going to make an important point here. That Jesus has the authority to send you. He has the authority. It's not like a principal at school telling you, you must clean your bedroom tonight. And you might be like, um, you don't have jurisdiction there. My parents do. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, your parents are going to tell you to do it anyway. But, but your, your principal doesn't have authority there. But God is the sovereign creator of the universe. The, the Father has ultimate authority over everything under his domain, including your life. That means he has ultimate sending authority. In the military, as I understand it, they, send, they give you orders, and your job is to simply respond by saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And that authority has been entrusted to Jesus. That's why he says in Matthew 28, all what? Authority. This is important to God to make clear to us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus, Jesus says. And now that authority has been transmitted to us as disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples. The mandate to the church to be sent ones doesn't come from a church council or from a conference, the missional calling of the church originated in the very heart of God, lived out by Jesus, the Son of God, and now passed on to every believer in all generations by the power of His Spirit. Why does that matter? Because it should give us confidence and assurance that all the efforts that we're doing, all the money, all the resources, all the time we give to reaching the world for Christ is divinely authorized. Being sent is our divine mandate, and Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the mission. Notice he says, peace be with you, and then verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. What? This is a visible reminder to them that Jesus' own sentness involves sacrifice. The Father sent Jesus to suffer as a part of his witness to the world. Why would we think it would be any different for us? I have a confession to make. 
I did something terrible this week. I went for a run. Yep, I, uh, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't run. Uh, and some of you know, I, I got a kidney stone a couple years ago because I ran. Uh, and so I've decided that running is the reason I got a kidney stone. Not my poor health, not my drinking of soda, but running. So I haven't been running for years. I've walked, and I've been walking a lot more with my wife, and I'm trying to, so I'm like, you know, I started running a little bit here and there, but, but yet this week I decided I'm just going to get out there, and I'm not going to walk for a mile, then, walk, then run a mile. I'm going to get out there, I'm just going to start running. And I ran. Mile, mile and a quarter in, I'm feeling all right. My body's like, yeah. Right about a mile and a half, all of a sudden, I hit that wall. And my body was like, yeah, you should stop. This isn't good. And then I went a little further and I said, I said stop! Right? Everything in me is screaming, this is too hard. Why are you doing this? Why are you hurting yourself? Why are you suffering? And I started feeling pity for myself. Like, why can't I like, give myself a pep talk? Right? You can do this, Mark. I was waiting for God to be like, you can do this, Mark. But honestly, I, you know, think about the sermon and mission and being sent. And here's what I sensed the Lord was, was, was like saying in my heart. Did you think it would be easy? And I'm like running, dying, going, God, that's not what I wanted to hear. I was like, not really what I need to hear right now. Like, did I think I could just run, go out and run a few miles and think it would be easy? Did I think my body would thank me for that? Did I think I'd go, whew, feels so good? Look, do, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat. Do you think this is going to be easy? You get a mile in, right? You start, okay, I'm going to try to reach my neighbor. I'm going to try to move towards global missions. And the very first moment of suffering, you're going to be like, see, God, I knew it wasn't for me. I told you. Just like my body at a mile in. Mark, you probably should be done. Well, if I'm, if I'm done, then I'm never going to get any stronger or healthier. Look, in light of being sent ones, what's more important to you, the American dream or the Great Commission? What are you spending your life doing? Building your own little kingdom or building God's eternal kingdom? Because God may want to use you right in the home where you live, right with the people you work with, the people you know. God may be wanting to send you right there, and that's awesome. Live sent here. Live on mission. Share and show the love of Christ. But I'm also imploring some of you that God may want to send you to Baltimore City to one of the hardest to reach places. And other people may not like it, and that's okay. People don't like when we do hard things. God may want to send you to Delhi or Yash, Romania or Cairo, Egypt or Chihuahua, Mexico, and he has the right to send you wherever he chooses. Will you trust him? I'm speaking to you, young men and women, as, as, especially students. Will you spend your life doing something that has eternal impact? Third point. Our resurrected king empowers our mission by the Holy Spirit. Look, 3.2 billion unreached, 7,400 people groups. 90% of the world are not Christians, including our neighbors. That can and should feel overwhelming. The task before us is humanly impossible. 
We just can't do it in our own strength. And Jesus knows this. That's why he says in verse 22, after saying, as the Father sent me, even I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus imparts the Spirit in a, in a personal and powerful way. He breathes on them. Genesis 2, remember God? He breathes on, on Adam and Eve the breath of life to give them life, the nephesh, their very soul. Jesus does that in this new way by His Spirit. And if you're wondering, I, I thought the Spirit is going to uh, come to believers in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Yes, that's correct. The giving of the Spirit here by Jesus is a preview of the permanent giving of the Spirit to all believers on Acts 2. But the gift of the Spirit was necessary for empowering and sending the disciples to accomplish an otherwise impossible mission. In other words, sent people can only live as sent people to the degree that they are reliant on the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. Do you realize how incredible it is that every follower of Jesus here today has the Spirit of the living God in them? From Jesus' perspective, he literally tells us that's better than having him here in person. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, Jesus says, I will send him to you. There is no other explanation for the incredible growth of the early church other than the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is the one empowering the apostles to preach the gospel throughout the book of Acts. He's the one convicting of sin, leading people to faith in Christ. He's the one driving the disciples further and further out their comfort zones until they can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Do you see how dependent you are on the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's mission for your life? We have missionaries right now in places where believers, fellow believers, brothers and sisters who live in those countries are being attacked and killed for their faith. We got an update this week that three believers were killed in a, in a country in the Middle East. And those believers, those missionaries need the Holy Spirit to remind them that whether living or dying, they belong to Christ. And they need the Holy Spirit to keep on shining the light of Christ. We have church members right here in the U.S. who work in environments, and you know this best, environments that are hostile to the Christian faith. You've told me this. And increasingly hostile. Before, it was, okay, you're a Christian, you're kind of, okay, I don't need to talk to you. But now if you're a Christian, you actually might be targeted. They need the Holy Spirit to empower them to live, as Jesus said, as, as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. We have students who go to schools in our community uh, with kids who have no idea what real Christianity is about, and they need the Holy Spirit to empower them to build relationships and invite friends to consider the claims of Jesus. We all have people in our lives right now who don't know Christ. What will we do? In the power of the Holy Spirit, will we go? Will we be sent? Let me close with this story. Pastor J.D. Greer tells the story of two Moravian missionaries in the middle of the 19th century. So years ago, John Dober and David Nitchman, who became burdened to reach the inhabitants of a nearby island known now as St. Thomas, 
Most of the people have been taken to that island as slaves. These two men wanted to share the gospel with the slaves, but the plantation owner said, we don't want you sharing that message. We don't want the slaves getting the ideas that, that they're made in the image of God and, and that they're valuable to God. They might revolt. And so these men, as the story goes, here's the kind of the, the false story. As the story goes falsely, these two men sell themselves into slavery in order to take the gospel to the islanders. And that makes them sound like noble heroes. And that's how many people have told the story. But the true story is that the plantation owners said even no to them selling themselves as slaves. And so these two men boarded a ship on October the 8th, 1732, departing from Germany to live among the people of St. Thomas outside of the plantations. And as the ship pulled away from the docks, they cried out to their loved ones on shore, quote, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And they arrived on the island and they prayed and they prayed and they keep, kept on praying and they did or, things that most people would think are ordinary things to share the hope of Christ. And as the account goes, quote, for 50 years they labored in the West Indies without any financial aid from other or, religious organizations and their work was hard, often mundane and boring as they sought to share the gospel but when they finally died, they left 13,000 baptized converts on that island and a streak of new churches in St. Thomas, St. Croix, Jamaica, Antigua, Barbados, and St. Kitts. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? It can't just be the things we rather have a family, go on trips, enjoy retirement, those are fine things, but we are sent by God to be his ambassadors through all we say and do. What can you do? Can I just give you four things and I'm going to pray? Four things. First thing you can do right now, pray. Pray. We have prayer cards out on the table. There should be none left. Take them all. These are every one of our missionaries and mission organizations so that every day you can be praying for them. Harry and Jan Gebert. We put these cards on the wall in our, in our dining room area and we number them so that every day of the month we pray for one of our missionaries as a family. Pray. Pray for God to show you your spot. Pray that God would help you live as a sent one. Pray for our missionaries. That's the first thing, pray. Number two, serve. Get involved in ministry right here. God may want to send you overseas, but you're right here now, so serve. See what it's like to be involved in God's equipping, empowering gospel work. Pray, serve, give. Give generously. Use your money I don't care how much you have. Use your money and resources to show that Jesus is a greater treasure than your earthly treasure. Give. Some of you aren't giving anything, and God wants to nudge you to give. Some of you are giving, and God wants you to give more. I don't know. It's up to you and God, but give. Finally, go. Go across the street. Go to your coworkers. Go to your friends and family members. Have spiritual conversations. Be intentional. Show the love of Christ. Go, go. And some of you should consider going to the 7,400 people groups that are unreached. 
Some of us should. Grace Baptist Church, as the Father has sent Jesus, so he is sending us. Will we live in that reality as sent ones? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We don't just want to be giving you lip service with our love. We want our love to drive us into action. We want to be a church that doesn't spend our time just pursuing a, an alternate kingdom, uh, an ultimate, alternate dream. Lord, we also don't want to be a church full of people who just find faults in this ministry or that song or this thing, the things that could just tear away unity. Lord, may we be a church that is so filled with your spirit that the mission is right in front of us, that we keep the main thing the main thing. We need help with this, Lord. We admit that. We, in our own strength, we're going we're gonna to fall back on what's comfortable and safe. But by your spirit, send us out. By your spirit, move us outside of our comfort zones. By your spirit, show us that you can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. By your spirit, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, may we sense your great love upon us, never leaving us that we might be your witnesses here to the ends of the earth. God, I pray especially for, for those who may even be considering whether you were calling them to go cross-cultural ministry. We want to be a church that raises up and sends out. Please do this for the glory of your name. Lord, we are, we are nothing. Grace Baptist Church is absolutely nothing, but you are everything. May this be true so that you send us out. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.